News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. The state of the state is important for two reasons. One, it gives the governor an opportunity to start basically laying out his vision for what the legislature is going to accomplish in the 140 days they have in a session every two years. More importantly, here's what he does. He specifically designates certain items as emergency items. What this is, is that this gives them specific designation, which allows them to have action taken on them. Committees, be heard in committees, to be voted out of those committees, to be debated on the House floor, and to be voted out to the opposite chambers. It's a, they, Those bills are able to go to his desk in the first 60 days of the legislative session. For the first 60 days, for all the rest of the legislation, action cannot be taken on them, okay? And so for the first 30 days, no action could get taken, and then committees can start taking action on all bills, and then the floor can start taking action at day 60. So emergency item designation, just practically speaking, gives certain policies the ability to move quicker. For our governor— he tends to not pick super controversial issues as emergency items. In fact, as a governor, he has an incredible record at passing whatever he designates as an emergency item. Now, to be honest, the governor doesn't always pick issues that he doesn't think are going to pass. So he last session said, hey, we need rural broadband expansion uh, designated as an emergency item. And some of us, you know, kind of gave him some criticism for that, because ultimately he was picking this subject that, first of all, didn't seem like anybody was walking around being like, there's an emergency going on. And at the same time, it's like there are a lot of other pieces of legislation that no one wants to deal with, okay? Handing out a bunch of government money and getting a bunch of federal matching dollars to then spend, that's not something the legislature uh, shies away from doing. Okay, they're usually very eager to start these new programs that give all of these different corporations tons more government money. It's flowing. Lobbyists are happy about it. It's one every year or two. Okay, I mean, honestly, it's the water infrastructure bank, some transportation thing they've come up with. There's all sorts of issues like that. Almost every single session, there's something that comes up where you go, this is the gravy train bill that everybody's focused on. This session that really hasn't shown up except for the fact that Reestablishing the 313 program is a very high priority of the speaker and the governor. And we'll get to that in a second as we break down his State of the Union. But my bigger point that I was making is that Abbott tends to pick emergency items that he thinks have a very good chance of passing. And in the cases where they don't, they've often been stuff that was not conservative enough. So when he said, I want to establish a statewide pre-K program, conservatives were in opposition to that program. And he had to bend over backwards and work really hard in order to ensure that that legislation got across the finish line. And he worked very hard. He was literally on the floor whipping votes to make sure that we could expand government's involvement in uh, pre-K children's lives. So let's talk about what he designated as an emergency item, specific emergency items through his state of the state. So he basically said providing property tax relief is an emergency item. Now, we literally had Tim Harden on the program a couple weeks ago. And I, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should because we break down exactly where the legislature currently is on this issue. Here's the unfortunate 
reality is that Governor Abbott is siding with the legislature in saying, if you continue to fund past compression, we're going to count that as new property tax relief. Okay, so they have $33 billion and they need to get to half of it that they're giving back. And so they're saying, hey, the fact that we're continuing to fund $6 billion of compression, that's new property tax relief, which is crazy because it's not new. Your current bill is based on that compressed rate. Okay, so this gets a little technical, but for those of you that don't understand, basically the state puts money in and that buys down what you owe your school district a little bit. I can put 1 billion or 5 billion or 10 or 20 or 30. And the more I put in, the lower your property tax bill goes. Okay, so they're taking previous property tax relief that is based on your current bill has that property tax relief already built into it. And they're saying, well, we're going to keep funding it. And that's new property tax relief. And that's in order to make sure that they can tell themselves and then try to tell you that they provided the largest property tax cut in Texas history. Well, if anybody tells you that the current state budget has the largest property tax cut in Texas history, that's not true. The largest tax cut in Texas history is a $14 billion tax cut. And the current one has a, maybe a little over, it's actually a little less than $10 billion in property tax relief. Okay. So even if they add one or 2 billion, not that great. Abbott really shied away from being super specific. What he basically said was, we need to return as much money to you as possible. That's why I'm calling for the largest property tax cut in Texas history. This is the talking point. You'll see it out there a lot. By the way, we would love the largest tax cut in property tax history. We don't want you to count all this previous tax relief that you're continuing to fund as new property tax relief. But that's one of his emergency items. But what this does is that the legislature can immediately start looking at other legislation that they're also going to apply. Uh, Dade Phelan has talked about different property tax reforms. Paul Betancourt in the Senate is somebody who's always working on a lot of property tax reforms. And so they can maybe categorize those things as being, uh, let's say, contributing factors to property tax relief in the future. And so the legislature can maybe start working on these type of property tax issues before that 30 or 60 day mark. The other one is restricting pandemic emergency powers. Okay, so the governor has said, I need these things done so that I can take Texas out of a state of an emergency. He wants all these local jurisdictions to not be able to create emergencies um, on their own if it's not in accordance with what the state does. This would have, and, and I will say this, based on his interpretation, here is the hope that the legislature actually passes what Senator Birdwell tried to do last session, which is to say, hey, Local jurisdictions, as well as the governor, none of them can establish these endless state of emergencies. And if they do want to establish a state of emergency beyond a month or two, then the legislature has to get called back in and the people's elected representatives have to vote. Okay, Dustin Burroughs, the Texas House and Greg Abbott killed that legislation last session. They killed it because it basically would have said that Governor Abbott was wrong in establishing this endless emerge state of emergency that we've been under. We've been under a public health emergency for what, three years. I mean, it's insane. And so that kind of reform is something that uh, now Governor Abbott's saying, hey, we, we probably should do this this time around. So I'm going to designate it an emergency item. Hopefully the House does not work against what the Senate had pushed out last time. The other one is he wants some school safety measures passed. It's going to be very interesting to see. I would stay in touch with Texas gun rights, gun owners of America, these other conservative gun groups that basically are going to tell you what is going on in the Capitol. If those school safety measures are a threat to your Second Amendment rights, those groups are going to know. And it's 
very nonspecific. We don't have a lot of specifics from the speaker. We don't really have specifics from the governor. There was this deal about gun laws being a 10-year minimum, but none of the specifics were things that would have prevented Uvalde. So honestly, it's one of those areas that there's not a lot of specifics at this time with. There is some concern that a lot of the legislation regarding that might go to Sinfronia Thompson's committee. She is the chairman of one of the new committees that Dade Phelan created, and she's a very liberal Democrat. And so there is concern that a lot of this school safety stuff could potentially go to her committee. I don't know. It's very hard to see all the things that her committee has been created to do. There are some bail restrictions that he once reformed, which don't really matter to you if you're in the rural areas of Texas, but if you're in one of the cities where these judges are abusing our bail laws. And when I say abusing them, it's laws that Republicans passed, okay? So Republicans passed all this bail reform that they now need to kind of rein in to some extent. But it's because the Democrat judges, you gave them an inch and they took a mile. And we have to learn from that. We have to stop giving these liberal cities and these judges more room, okay? It's not healthy. Securing the border was also designated an emergency item. I will say, however, the governor's not announcing any new initiatives that are actually going to secure the border. We talk about this for a long time, but we've had Operation Lone Star, unprecedented action by the state. But we've essentially spent billions and millions of dollars doing nothing but processing illegals as they're walking in and helping them enter into our country. At some point, we'll even say, hey, we'll put you on a bus. It's air conditioned. We'll give you a cell phone. We'll take you to the, uh, you know, do you want to be on the East Coast? Do you want to be on the West Coast? If you consent, we'll send you to Washington, D.C. And these people who are consenting want to go there. Okay, so we're taking an illegal alien who's crossing our country saying, would you like to go to Washington, D.C.? Will all expenses paid? Well, yes, I'd love to do that. That's actually where I'm trying to get. Great. And we take them there at your expense. So nothing that Texas is doing is actually effectively securing the border. There's not a single illegal immigrant who hasn't been able to come into our country. The human traffickers, the cartels who are literally running this smuggling operation, both humans, fentanyl, all that stuff, they're still coming. It's still wide open. We still know that our peace officers are literally engaging with cartel members when they bring people across the border. They know that guy's the human trafficker. These are all the humans. They've all paid that cartel member to bring them across the river, and they're just engaging with them because they don't want to upset the order, and they don't have orders specifically to change the status quo on the border. So we don't know if there's going to be anything new that comes from that, but I will say that at least Abbott designating it means that the legislature and the House and the Senate can take action on legislation that would fundamentally change our strategy and would stop the influx of illegals pouring into our country. Millions and millions of people. Cracking down on fentanyl and trafficking is also an emergency item, which kind of comes into the border issue, but those are also emergency items designated. And the last one is school choice, by the way, of education savings accounts. And he was specific to endorse ESAs. Now, this has been the national push that we've applauded, whether it's the, the state of Arizona or a lot of the other Republican states who have led on these different issues. This is the changing factor in this session. Abbott has never designated school choice an emergency item. He's talked about it. He's shown up at the annual rally. He's disgusted as a policy he finds appealing. But he's never told the legislature, you have to do this. And we are seeing the dam breaking on this issue in the Texas House of Representatives. The Texas Senate has always had the votes to pass an ESA program statewide. The Texas House has never had the votes to pass an ESA 
program statewide. You're, but I want to remind you, for those of you out there, because I talk to a lot of people who say, well, I really want school choice. I really want an ESA program. I just don't think these guys in the legislature will do it. And it's based off of a natural distrust of the legislature, which, by the way, you should have. So you're not incorrect for having that kind of pause. But understand, two years ago, the Texas House of Representatives did not eagerly want to pass constitutional carry. They've never wanted to. Never more than 15 or 20 Republican state reps would even sign on to legislation that protected your constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Okay, And so this permitless carry that ended up passing, with a, which, which made our gun laws way stronger, we're like the 22nd red state to do it Right by the time we get around to doing it. But all of these Republicans who lined up and then voted for it didn't want to vote for it beforehand. They were just told by leadership, this is what we're doing, and they got on board. Towards the end of our program, when we talk about the actions Tony Tenderholt took and the fact that so few legislators even voted with him, it's that same problem. You get into this groupthink mentality where these lawmakers are just voting with however everybody else is voting. Well, that same thing could actually work in our favor when it comes to school choice and education savings accounts. Because previously, these liberal lawmakers who were siding with liberal teacher unions consistently could do so, and it wasn't a problem. They weren't punished by leadership. The speaker didn't care. The governor didn't care. He still went and campaigned for all of them for re-election. Now they're in a situation where the governor has stepped up and said, this is an emergency item and we are doing this. Texas is going to pass this program. So now they're in a place where they have to step up if they're going to be part of the general consensus around education reform. And I believe that when you look at Dade Feelings changes in the committee and just the change in tone from all these lawmakers, you're seeing an environment where it's changing. Not only that, I will tell you this, the school, let's say the educrats are more quiet than they've ever been. I have never seen the Educrat lobby be so silent. Now, I don't think that will remain through the entire legislature, but I will tell you this. They're being quieter than ever. They are letting the school choice side shoot a lot of shots and gain a lot of momentum. And at some point, they're going to come in very heavy and try to squash this in the Texas House of Representatives. It's going to be interesting to see it happen. And when it does, we'll, of course, tell you what's going on and how people are reacting. The last thing I'll talk about regarding Greg Abbott is really what was missing from his list of emergency items. And we've talked about this before, but our governor cannot stand these social issues. He's really not a culture warrior. This is a specific differentiator between him and Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis comes in and says, let me be clear, our universities are not going to have DEI programs, and we're going to pass a bill that makes this illegal. Hey, this woke corporation is not going to do business in Florida this way. This is what I'm going to do. Hey, we need to not transition these kids with permanent surgeries and puberty blockers. That's why I'm instructing my office to do X, Y, or Z. Greg Abbott's the opposite. He hates the issues. He doesn't like talking about them. He never wants to talk about them when the cameras are on because then that gets thrown everywhere. And so he avoids them whenever possible. And this is another area in which he did that. There were over 1,300 Republican conservative activists, all who were actively working in their communities to get rid of the pornography that is in libraries, their school libraries, community libraries available to children, literally send them a letter saying, please designate this item, an emergency item, so that we can begin working on it immediately. Didn't do it. I mean, for years, people have said, please help us ban gender modification of children. Puberty blockers, surgeries. 
which we've gone from now, what, two bills, three bills filed on the issue to dozens of bills. So clearly the momentum's behind us on this issue, but Governor Abbott doesn't even talk about it, doesn't say it needs to happen, doesn't designate it an emergency item. Not only did he not designate it an emergency item, he didn't even mention it during his speech because there were things he mentioned during his speech where he said, we need to do this, but he didn't designate it an emergency item. He's not even willing to publicly say, we need to not transition children in Texas. And it's happening now. And as your governor, I'm going to make sure it stops this session. Even just saying that would have gone a tremendous way in saying, yes, this is absolutely going to happen. No shadow of a doubt. So the drag shows, I mean, we've talked about the drag show issue. On this program, you've heard about this with Exposed. You've seen what Sarah Gonzalez is doing, what Chris Hopper is doing, what Texas Family Project is doing. No mention. Hey, guys, there's this proliferation of drag shows across the country, but really concentrated in Texas, and they keep getting worse and worse and worse. We're going to stop at this session. No mention. No emergency item designation. So I would just say, in general, with the family policy issues, completely avoided it. On the COVID mandates issues, on, on specifically the vaccine issues and medical freedom, a lot was left untouched, either unaddressed, not designated. So there's several other issues. Immigration as a whole, he, of course, mentions border security, doesn't get specific. So policy after policy, he generally didn't talk about. But when it comes to the family policy issues, it was clear. He intentionally avoided them during the state of the state. Now, Dan Patrick has already basically put all of those issues I just talked to you about on his list of top 30. So he is the one leading the charge on these issues from a top three perspective. And the top three in the in Texas is considered the Speaker of the House, Lieutenant Governor, and Governor. Dan Patrick is the only one of those three that says, we're going to stop drag shows, we're going to get rid of the porn in libraries, and we're going to stop gender modification of Texas children. So that's the last thing I would say when it just comes to Abbott's plan overall. It seemed... Like he was less than enthused about those policy issues. He definitely intentionally left them out. Dade Phelan's reaction to Governor Abbott's state of the state address is pretty normal. He just came out and said all these issues are good. He has made sure to specifically specify that school choice is not dead on arrival. Um, I will say this. I found it interesting because he said the legislature this year must address, this is Dade Phelan speaking, just to be clear, but he said the legislature this year must address our state's border security in a meaningful and innovative way, which I think is helpful because he's basically saying, he didn't just say we need to continue to do it in a meaningful way. We have to address it in this way. We got to change things up a bit. So that's good to hear Phelan using language that admits at least that what we're doing isn't working all the way. And then fight the rapidly rising number of opioid or overdoses and empower parents with the roles they play in the classroom and on social media. So that kind of starts to hint at support for school choice. And then he talks about the social media issue. I've talked about this more on Twitter, but I don't think I've addressed it here on the show yet. The one thing I will give the Texas House credit for is they seem to be the most aggressive when it comes to addressing children's access to social media. There's good legislation in the session right now by Jared Patterson that literally talks about just banning the practice, banning children's access to social media, banning TikTok, banning other forms of social media, other ones that just require certain other verifications or blockers put up for kids to be able to access um, the apps. But 
it's a great discussion to be having right now. It's incredibly harmful and detrimental to children, to society as a whole. And it's something we have to grapple with. Um, and so I think Dade Phelan looking to address this issue and talking about it more is a positive thing. We'll have to see what comes of like the various different policies that have been filed. It's something I'm going to be following and talking about. So I think you should definitely have it on your radar as well. While he was talking about the state of the state, because Phelan did a number of these different TV interviews and stuff, talking about Abbott and the session and kind of kicking things off here this week, he has taken specific aim at Ken Paxton. And uh, one of his lieutenants, Jeff Leach, seems to also have done the same thing. But Jeff Leach and Dade Phelan are very focused on trying to harm Ken Paxton politically and financially. And so they have come in and basically said that Ken Paxton, he had a number of whistleblowers that came out, made some accusations against him, and they have struck a deal. They have cut a deal in which those whistleblowers will back off of their accusations of Ken Paxton in return. I think it's four or six of them, and they're going to get $3.3 million Okay, uh, spread out amongst all of them. So this is the agreement they've made. This is you know, the settlement that they've come to. And now Dade Phelan and Jeff Leach have basically come out and said, we don't want this funded. We don't want to pay for this. Okay. Um, I'm all for fiscal responsibility. I think every one of you are too. But the reality is that I want to, I want to understand a, a current precedent. If we basically say anytime a state official is sued in their official capacity, uh, they have to personally foot the bill for that. We basically are going to set up a situation where like every liberal employee in every single state agency is highly incentivized to basically go find some shark leftist attorney and come in and just start suing the snot out of all our state officials. So that just seems really inconsistent and not well thought through, okay? If you don't like Ken Paxson, have issues with him, just say it. I don't like this. I have a slew of problems with him. I've never really liked him. And you know what? I'm the legislative branch. We'll decide what we appropriate. He hasn't set himself up well to get our money. That's basically what Dade and I think Jeff Leach could say and be a little more intellectually honest. Because when they come in and go, this is not a proper use of taxpayer dollars. This $3 million isn't what we should be doing. Understand they have a $33 billion surplus. And instead of turning it around and saying, this is all of your money. This is like a tax return, right? We took more of your money than we thought we were going to take, way more than we needed for state government. We could turn it back to you, but no, we're going to give you like 11 of it back, and the other 22, we're either going to spend on more government programs or we're going to pocket it in an account. So this is the current mindset of the appropriators in the Texas House. But Dade Phelan wants you to think that that $3.3 million, he is just so concerned about the proper use of your tax dollars. Say nothing of the Texas medical schools that are literally training doctors on how to sexually mutilate children, right? And that is legal. They can have programs. They can have classes that you take. If you're a doctor, you can go observe a child being abused by medical professionals, watch them permanently mutilated, their sexual organs. That is crazy, right? Say nothing of the universities that have all their DEI offices. We just had this last week. All of that crap that's funded, all of that stuff that you know exists at Texas A&M and the University of Texas. Yeah, Dade Phelan hadn't come out and said, man, I'm really worried 
You know, we were going to write all of these universities another billions and billions of dollars. But now that I see all this radical stuff that's being taught to these students, I'm going to back off a little bit. That hasn't slowed them down. That hasn't stopped them. But you know what has? $3 million to Ken Paxton settling a lawsuit with employees that have sued him in his official capacity. Wow. You wouldn't take your kids to a strip club, so why would you allow them to change their gender or chop their breasts off? Listen now to season four of Exposed, The War on Texas Kids, available wherever you listen to podcasts. So there's already some little battles going on in the Texas House, and we're going to conclude with a bigger battle, bigger than the Paxton versus Phelan battle is the Tenderholt versus Phelan battle that happened last week. And the grassroots, this has spread all across the state. I've gotten text messages about this. I've gotten emails about it. I included it in my weekly email blast, which if you don't go, get that, go, just go to lukemacias.com, put your email in. You'll be signed up to get the weekly email blast. But I send it out and I sent a clip and we're going to go to this clip in just a second, okay? And this is Representative Tony Tinderholt. Now, bear in mind, the Texas House is not in a hurry to do anything right now. They don't know what their plan is, but their plan is not to do anything quickly. They do know that, okay? They don't know what the plan is, but they know what the pace is. This is what I say about the Texas House. They don't know the plan. They know the pace. The pace is slow, and the plan is undefined. So Tony Tindrell got up to simply ask Craig Goldman. Craig Goldman is the one making the motion, which needs like two-thirds to vote. He's like, I, we want to go for five days. And the Constitution stipulates that we don't go, we don't adjourn for more than three days. So we have to have this vote to just like adjourn for five full days. We're not coming. Our committees aren't meeting. All these committees could have like their introductory meetings where they just like plan what they're going to do and introduce to staff and all these different things. None of those are hardly happening this week. They're all happening this following week. Bills are aren't being referred, very little actions taking place. Maybe we shouldn't go home because if we're going to accomplish all this work, which is what Tony argues here in a second on the clip, he's just asking Craig Goldman, what, what, what's going on? And the reaction of Representative Goldman and Representative Phelan is, is pretty remarkable. So let's just go to the clip. The chair lays out the following resolution, the clerk read the resolution. SCR 18 by Whitmire. The chair recognizes Mr. Goldman to explain the resolution. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Members, um, this is the resolution for this week that authorizes adjournment for more than three days. The res resolution authorizes the House or Senate to adjourn from this Wednesday until next Tuesday. I move adoption. Mr. General, for a purpose. Will the gentleman yield for two brief questions? The gentleman yields for questions. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Representative Goldman. Uh, are you aware of H.R. 24 from 1972? I'm guessing the answer is no. Are you going to speak for me, or do you want me to answer? Go ahead. I, I do, no. Thank you. It was also known as H.R. 1, 3, 4, and 6. Its intent was to suspend the Constitution to do the opposite, which was to take up and consider bills prior to the 60th day, and they passed continuously. We only went back to the 70th session. Could have gone back further. Are you aware that the practice ended after the 81st session? No. Mr. Tindall, please confine your remarks to the resolution laid before the House. I am. It has specific to do with this resolution, sir. We know there's seven more Republican priorities as well as individual members' priorities in their districts. We often is there a question, Mr. Tindall? There is. 
What's the question? Mr. Tenderholt, please confine your remarks to the resolution laid before the House. We often hear that things don't get done because is of the time. Is there a question, Mr. Tenderholt? Mr. Tenderholt, please confine your remarks to the resolution before the House. Finish the question, both of you, please. Uh, I think that leaving early That's not a defeats the purpose. I'm going to ask you a question. I think that leaving early is not healthy when we could actually use this for the opposite. Would you agree with that? We could actually suspend the Constitution to take up stuff and consider before 60 days so that we don't tell people when we leave here that we ran out of time. And the disrespect that I'm getting right now is actually absurd. I've never seen it since I've been here in eight years. I'm asking Mr. a simple Hall, question. That is not the subject of SCR 18. The subject is, do you agree that we could use the Constitution suspension to bring up and consider bills prior to 60 days like it was done in the past versus leaving and going home early? Mr. Tenderholt, that, that is not the that subject of SCR 18. Mr. Speaker, parliamentary inquiry. Place out your inquiry. How the heck is that not a, par a, a, a question concerning this SCR? I'm specifically stating that I think that doing this, I'm asking him if he agrees that we could do the opposite, and he's not answering the question. In the opinion of the chair, your remarks are not on the subject of SCR 18. They are dilatory. Please take your chair. Mr. Speaker, I'll respectfully note, vote no today, and I hope people are ready to get to work like I am and, and vote no on this. Mr. Goldman moved adoption of SCR 18. This record vote requirement of the Constitution. The clerk will ring the bell. Show Mr. Leach voting on, Ms. Theory voting on, Mr. Burrs voting on. Mr. Goldman voting on. Mr. Wally voting on. All members voting. All members voting. There have been 146 ayes and two nays. SCR 18 is adopted. You know, the Texas House loves to act like it's a deliberative body. And this is one of my pet peeves. They don't deliberate. They honestly, they, they, they struggle to have any type of serious conversation without breaking down. If the left, I mean, if the Democrats on the floor just start screaming and yelling and crying, and then the right gets really scared. And when I say the right, I don't mean conservatives on the right. I just mean like the right in general gets really uncomfortable. Then they don't want to pass more conservative bills. They very much struggle to have difficult, meaningful conversations. Representative Tinderholt gets up for a second and Keep in mind that they're on the floor for like 30 minutes on this day, and they're about to go for five days. And Phelan's like, you need to sit down. You're being dilatory, okay? Literally like, you're just, you're just mucking up the works. You're making it hard for us to get stuff done. You're, you're basically slowing us down, is his accusation. Now, if that's not the definition of gaslighting, I don't know what is. It really is remarkable. Like these guys can't wait to take five days off. And if you're literally going to make them have a couple minute conversation about why we're doing this, they're going to get so mad and gavel you down and say, go back to your seat. How dare you? So that's the current environment in the Texas House of Representatives. But the good news is we have a lot of conservatives who are filing conservative bills, who are getting ready to go to work. They haven't started getting to work yet. But it's going to start here pretty soon. And so this week is going to be another test to kind of see where is the Texas House now that the emergency items have been designated, the bills can be referred, the committees can immediately begin hearing all of this stuff. What action is going to get taken? What we know and what has basically been messaged from the Texas Senate is they have a plan. It's an aggressive list, and they're going to try to get to it as quickly as possible. Okay. Now, there are some issues that the Senate also doesn't look to be addressing 
incredibly thoroughly this session. Immigration is the one who sti that sticks out to me the most. Okay, there was nothing on Dan Patrick's list of thirty that was incredibly aggressive on the issue of immigration, um, but. That being said, I do think that the Senate has a long list of very conservative policies that they will be pushing. And I also think there's a bunch of conservative policies that weren't on Dan Patrick's top 30 that will also be pushed. And the environment in the Senate is such that those have a much better chance of making their way through the process and the committees are much more conservative, so they have a better chance as well. We're going to let you know everything going on, but your main takeaways right now is that Governor Abbott probably had his most conservative list of emergency items ever. Now, it's a little bit of a sad thing that I have to say because it's only because he's, he's hardly ever designated strong conservative policies as emergency items. So for him to list like one or two of them within this list is actually a good thing and pretty remarkable. But he has done so. And Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is continuing to push while Dade Phelan is continuing to drag his feet. What happens as a result of all of those different personalities is going to be something that we're going to get to watch from now till the end of May. And hopefully for you participate in, if there are issues you care about, plug into these groups that are advocating and working on behalf of them. Stay tuned with what we're bringing you. Share this information with your elected officials, your local officials, Republican activists, the Republican chairman. It's really important that we build something that matters in Texas. And that's what we're doing right now. More and more Texans engaging every single day. I am still meeting people. You know, I feel like, I used to, I feel like all the new people in politics were people that came in in like the Tea Party era, but I just forget how many people out there are just now getting engaged and waking up. And it is more often than not that when I meet someone in politics, either at a Republican event, somebody who listens to my show, somebody who's at the Capitol, they weren't doing anything two years ago, which is a huge testimony to how much momentum and energy there is in our movement right now. You get to be part of that please do something more. God bless you, and God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.